Namaste and good evening to all of you. Tonight I will um, share with you some thoughts and some knowledge about the world of Tantra and especially the world of sexual Tantra uh, given the fact that uh, in the near future the teachers of Agama are doing some workshops on Tantra and um, actually I could have done this many years ago because um, I realized that people asking themselves should I study this workshop, should I study that workshop uh, basically it shows a lack of understanding of what's happening in the world of Tantra uh, better said I could uh, tell you tonight some things about what you don't know in Tantra. It's very interesting to know what you don't know so that you know actually what you want to hear, what you want to find out, what you want to discover. In that way you have a little bit of guidance into this world of Tantra which is otherwise uh, so difficult, so provocative uh, in Agama, we consider it one of our uh, main difficulties. It's true that it's also one of the attractions of Agama because we teach yoga together with the Tantric Yoga and this gives the opportunity of people to practice their sexual continence in the Tantric way uh, in exchange for the alternative of going celibate, of going ascetic for the conservation of the sexual energy and uh, because of this that's a very popular option in modern times especially for younger people but on the other hand it's also one of the main difficulties uh, when it comes to administration when it comes to the environment, the difficulties, uh, in the meaning that even when our students confront difficulties, those difficulties are seldom due to the fact that they cannot do their Padahastasana properly. They're, the difficulties of our students are seldom due to the fact that their Shambhavi Mudra is not working perfectly. The difficulties of our students are seldom due to the fact that uh, they can't succeed very well their practice of pranayama. It is a well-known thing for people who spend time in uh, a collectivity like that one of Agama that many, many difficulties what people encounter, what people are struggling with are actually caused by the interference of people with Tantra. And sometimes people think, you know, if I wouldn't have tried to practice Tantra, maybe I wouldn't have had this difficulty. On the other hand, people say, well, if I wouldn't have had tried to practice Tantra, then I wouldn't have acquired this and this and that. So, you, there, is, there is some gain, but there is also definitely uh, some challenge which comes with this. And that's why this field of Tantra... Uh, is very peculiar because it is rewarding 
both in a spiritual way and in a human way, in a daily life way, but at the same time it's a very challenging point. And um, I have to say from the very beginning, it is challenging to a, lot, to a large extent because uh, people can't let go of the world, because people can't let go of their past, because people can't let go of their habits. And unfortunately, even when coming to the world of Tantric Yoga and Sexual Tantra, people actually bring their samskaras with them. They bring the world with them, and bringing it, nobody can claim that they are practicing a sort of an archetypal, perfect Tantra. Everybody is practicing a sort of a personal adaptation of Tantra, and unfortunately, precisely that personal adaptation uh, is what causes trouble. In a perfect world, we could imagine a Tantric teaching which is practiced archetypally and which keeps people away from a lot of temptations, challenges, troubles. But that, again, remains to a large extent uh, just that uh, utopian project. And uh, therefore, um, the field of Tantra needs to be clarified in many ways and it needs a lot of support and it needs teachers and it needs feedback <coughs> not to mention that it brings also a lot of negativity if uh, people have doubts about agama for example 80% of their doubts would be because of the use of the sexual yoga very few people have doubts that Agama is actually practicing the asanas traditionally or really well. Everybody who does a month of Agama knows that the level of understanding the bodywork, the asanas, the mudras and the other things in Agama is sky high compared to other teachings in this world. So very few people would find the difficulty into that, with that but very few people would find the difficulties with uh, Agama's Pranayama, or very few people would find difficulties with Agama's metaphysical workshop, which has just happened, you know, just to give another example of teachings. Very few people would be able to contradict in any way Agama's workshop called uh, The Art of Dying. Very few people would be able to uh, doubt Agama's healing therapeutical yoga elements. When it comes to doubts, like, um, I don't know, these people, uh, 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 most of that uh, 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 would refer to something which concerns sexuality. No. Because um, this is a very provocative subject. It is a very sore spot and exception made of the people who honestly get to work and they practice it. Exception made of those, others will not understand it from outside. So, uh, in my attempt tonight 
just to help you through this world of Tantra workshops and generally through the world of Tantra. And maybe if this satsang is being one day made public, then just in the attempt to help people who haven't even visited Agama or who are not necessarily in touch with Agama to understand what they don't know, what is hidden in this world of Tantra, I'll try to look a little bit through the subjects. I'll not, I'm not going to make a synopsis and tell you this we teach in uh, Taste of Tantra and this we teach in Tantric Evolving through Tantra. I'm not going to do that because it's, I'm not doing here a curriculum of any kind. I'm just trying to go conceptually for you to see the logics of all of it for you to see the understanding. It's more like I'm trying to create a picture of the tantric tradition and of the tantric teaching, like what do people need to know to be able to build up at least the primary practice, to call yourself a a theoricum in tantra, to call yourself a, a beginner in tantra. What are the things that you need to be aware of? And uh, as I often say, and we do this more or less in our Tantra workshops, not directly in that manner, I tell to people that uh, it always starts with Brahmacharya. We cannot understand the invention of Tantric Yoga in its sexual form, what we could call sexual Tantra, because uh, by calling it just Tantra, We stretch the name a lot. Tantra means horary astrology. It means urine therapy. Tantra means magic. Tantra means numerology. Tantra means sacred dance and architecture. There are many, 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 many things which come under Tantra and which are not about sex. But since we talk about the sexual part of Tantra, which is indulgently, let's say about 10% of Tantra, all this polarity, symbolism, all this science of male and female, of yang and yin, all this science of Shiva and Shakti, how does polarity get applied in our daily lives and how does it produce our sexual function, our sexual attraction, Always, always this understanding has to start with Brahmacharya. That's what we give to people in the first month, in the first level of yoga, when we do that famous lecture in the end of week two, when we teach people about Brahmacharya. When people understand firmly that this story about the sexual energy and the sexual fluids that are carrying the sexual energy is not a joke is not something to be underestimated. It's something of primary importance, first of all, in the spiritual practice of Tantra, but then in everything. If you want to stay healthy, or if you want to make a lot of money, whatever you want to do, the sexual energy is one of the pointers, is one of the landmarks in this. And thus, Brahmacharya is the key of everything. Without understanding, most of you, I expect that most of you listening to this satsang tonight, you have heard at least once in your life the lecture or some form of lecture on Brahmacharya from Agama or its affiliated teachers. And therefore, you understand the concept, the concept of sexual continence, that the sexual energy, the sexual fluids are precious, they should not be wasted. And 
If you don't want to be celibate, which is a sort of a primitive way out of this conundrum, then the other alternative is to unfold your sexual activity and your sexual life for the rest of your life in a different way, in a different manner. And thus, it all starts with Brahmacharya. I am, and I inherited this from some of my teachers, who have been very strict on the Brahmacharya aspect of, of this teaching, um, and they were completely appalled, sometimes sarcastic, sometimes uh, angry, they were completely appalled at the fact that in the modern world, Tantra was very late to emerge, like even in the late 1960s, early 1970s, barely traces of Tantra were coming to the Western literature and publishing. And then as soon as it came, it got splashed on the wall like something very, very diluted and very, very modified. Some of my early yoga teachers, they were scoffing in disdain and they simply said it's impossible that people write a whole book which they call Tantra. And in that book they don't speak about Brahmacharya, you know, when the Brahmacharya is where everything started. This is how Tantra got invented, because of the need for Brahmacharya. Tantric sexuality is ultimately just a method of producing, of materializing Brahmacharya. And therefore, um, it all starts, the cornerstone of all of it is Brahmacharya, and we repeat those kinds of teachings, the lecture, the, the gist of it, the essence of it, even in our primary Tantra workshops, Taste of Tantra and the others. And uh, then it is very important also for people to understand that since Tantra is so big, then there are so many forms of Tantra. The famous division of the fact that Tantra is left-hand Tantra, which does contain explicit and manifest sexuality, and Tantra is right-hand Tantra, which contains implicit and symbolic elements of sexuality, like the union of Shiva and Shakti, the symbols of Lingam and Yoni, elements of transfiguration, puja, worship. For some of you who have been part of the recent events here in Agama's campus, the celebrations of different kinds like pujas, fire, tantric style fire ceremonies and other things like those, then um, it is very important for people to understand exactly where do they place themselves in this universe of Tantra, no, because it's very, very simplistic and it's very, very misguiding to just say, oh, Tantra is that thing about sex and so on, when, uh, you know, people did some live yantras or some fire ceremonies, and there was nothing about sex into those. On the contrary, most of the sexual elements were kind of prohibited or kept away uh, strictly from those uh, events or from, or from some of those phenomena. So understanding truly that when you do choose to go into the sexual tantra of an explicit format, you are actually going into left-hand tantra and what kinds of left-hand tantra and all the classification, which I'm not going to repeat here. Everybody who will join a 
Tantra workshop, the relevant Tantra workshops, will get to understand this from the very beginning because they are very relevant. They are very powerful elements which keep you guided. Exactly as in yoga, understanding the eight levels of yoga according to Patanjali makes you understand exactly where you are, what's the next step, what do you hope to acquire in six months from now, and where does all of this go. You are not in uncharted territory. There is a map of the trip, and the map of the trip helps enormously once you start setting your goals. So... When people start studying Tantra and they finally understood the stories about the basics, what they usually start first, and we consider this one of the basics of the craft, is that people start studying the sexological type of Tantra. Like Tantra in association with all the processes of sex and sexuality understanding forms of orgasm, curves of pleasure, points of no return, understanding uh, the manifestations of tantric sex from the standpoint of the yogic tradition, like what does it mean to your chakras, to your mind, to your energy, to your sublimation and all that, understanding them from a medical standpoint, from a sexological standpoint, understanding these things from the standpoint of science itself, understanding truly what's happening with the sexual tantra from the standpoint of phenomena of sublimation, transmutation. Here in Agama, in the, our yoga courses, when you take our yoga courses already in day 10 or 11, we are teaching you something about the sublimation of energy, which is one of the fundamental concepts in all spirituality, not only in Agama and not only in yoga. If any one of you goes for the next 10 years in a Christian monastery or in a Buddhist monastery, and if you do not manage to sublime your sexual potential into compassion, into bodhicitta, or whatever you call it, then you are a fiasco. Sublimation is not only relevant in Agama. Sublimation is relevant in any spiritual. If you become a Sufi, and if you don't manage to sublime your sexual energy, then you are a fallen Sufi. You are a fiasco. You are a failure in your so-called Sufi practice. Because it all relies time and again on this technical engineering concepts from Kundalini Yoga, from Laya Yoga, from Tantric Yoga, that you understand especially that. Many people at this point, especially those of you who never studied things like Tantra workshops or Tantric teachings, will fail to understand the subtle differences between a concept like transmutation and sublimation. What's the difference between what's happening with the sexual fluids themselves, the sexual vaginal orgasmic fluids for women, or the sperm and the corresponding the other male fluids, and what's the relationship between that and the fact that the energy is rising to Ajna and Sahasrara, because obviously it cannot be that sexual fluids move through your body. No, they don't belong in your brain. You don't get sperm in your brain. There is a totally different story there. And thus, 
uh, understanding properly uh, what does it mean to be a tantric man, what does it mean to be a tantric woman, what do such people do actually, which are the practices and how do you verify your success, what are the criteria of your success, when can you say, oh, now I understand transmutation, sublimation, these things are working for me, and all the rest. So, first of all, uh, human beings should understand the technology. There is a danger in this, and we try to complement it immediately in our tantric teachings here in Agama. The danger is that if you understand tantra only as a technology, like an engineering thing, then the tantric thing becomes for many people a sort of a sexual gymnastics. It becomes a sort of a sport. It contains in it a sort of a feeling of performance, performing. Oh, I'm good, I can do tantra very well, or whatever things are related to this. And um, this uh, mechanical tantra, this sporty tantra, is what uh, very often tends to become what we in the Agama environment would call the Red Tantra, the Selfish Tantra, the Chaotic Tantra, the Tantra which is misdirected, which is confused and not really uh, seizing the point. And um, as such, it is important that as soon as people have learned the basic technologies of Tantra, then they start understanding the directions of channeling. Like, Tantra ultimately is a tool. As somebody said even about yoga, yoga is a ladder that you use to climb on the roof. Once you are on the roof, you don't need the ladder. So, Tantra, in a similar way, is a ladder. It's something which helps you to climb up to a higher level of consciousness, especially, especially to the people that are having a great sexual interest. Honestly, I tell to people, if you are not tortured by any sexual needs, only two things are possible. Either you live in denial, you are completely unaware and then the sexual energy is there, but you don't acknowledge it, and then the sexual energy is going in all the wrong places, and it rots inside you, and it produces disease, neurosis, and later you are going to regret that you haven't put your attention on it. Or, indeed, it can be that you are naturally subliming, there are people that have a tendency which may come from previous lives, just anecdotally, without any connection with Tantra, just to show you the power of how somebody can be born special. In the Russian Orthodox Christianity, there is a legend about one of the saints of Christianity, one of the Russian Christian saints. I think, if I remember correctly, it is about Saint Nicholas, the one who became later... Santa Claus in the western Svadistanistic party zone 
but the real saint, and if it was not Saint Nicholas, then it was another one of the Russian saints about the same century, the same area. And when you read the legends, when you read the stories about that saint, you find out that that saint, as a baby of five days old, just born, newborn baby, would not suck milk from the breast of his mother on Wednesdays and Fridays. Because in the Christian Orthodox Church, these are Lenten days, and in the Lent, you are supposed to eat vegan. You can't touch any animal product. That's one of the main practices of people in Eastern Europe, that every Wednesday, every Friday, 40 days before Easter, 40 days before Christmas, and others, 217 days per year, are days where you are not supposed to touch animal products. And kind of, if you do this, you are a practicing Christian. It's like it's the root thing. And if you don't do even this, then you are definitely not a practicing Christian for the people in those communities. And the idea was that this little baby was a soul which was so much prepared, so much impregnated by the spirit of Christianity, that spontaneously, without the baby knowing why, because its, babe, its brain was, was blank, the baby was just born, and still there was a sort of a subconscious instinct. The baby didn't know it was Wednesday, but kind of its subconscious mind knew, of course, because the subconscious mind knows everything. And thus, by subconscious power, this baby had a sort of a rejection reaction, even to the, to the milk of its mom, <coughs> of his mom, just because it was Friday. And Friday, if you are a good Orthodox Christian, you don't touch milk and cheese and butter, not to mention meat and even eggs and other similar things. If somebody would have the same kind of imprinting <coughs> about Tantra or about spirituality, we could find young men and young women who have a spontaneous power of sublimation which comes from previous lives, and those people, they don't get stuck. I said, most people, if they say, no, no, and if they are like 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, and they say, no, no, me, I don't have any sexual need or anything, most probably they are in denial. If they are not in denial, then they are the reincarnation of Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna, when his mother took him to, a, to hookers in the red light district of Calcutta, his cousin, his mother asked his cousin, because she wouldn't go in the red light district, and when they took him and the hooker appeared and she took off her clothes, Ram Ramakrishna's penis just went inside his body. <laughs> Only the skin left outside. Like the man had such a hysterical reaction in front of a naked woman, that he made like a Udiana Banda or something and sucked his penis inside his body. No? He didn't get a hard-on. He got a... No? That's what's happening when you are Ramakrishna. And then if somebody says, are you subliming? Are you not subliming? You know, somebody says, yeah, yeah. He's subliming too much. You know, it's like, go gentle on it. it can it be... Yes. How often does it happen? Very, very seldom. And that's why it's most probable that people need to learn these things about 
transmutation, sublimation, how to rise, rise, rise the energy. But I repeat, many people are completely fascinated by this issue. I am watching movies and probably as I'm getting older or whatever the cause of that would be, I'm watching movies and at least in the last years I'm always appalled because whatever movie Hollywood or some other people produce, 90% of the issues, and in every movie it's anyway present somewhere, somehow, it's about sex and relationships. There is not a single movie, either it talks about El Cid, the liberator of Spain, or it talks about aliens coming and visiting planet Earth, it always contains sex and relationship. If there is no sex and relationship, it's like this Vadistanistic world, is incomplete and dissatisfied with it. Always, always it goes into these directions. Science fictions about great spirits that are the guardians of the galaxy and then they have to bump pelvises anyway, you know. They have to... It's, it's always about the same thing, always, all the time, obsessively which shows exactly what sells, because Hollywood is not trying to educate you or I. Hollywood is just trying to make money, big money. And therefore, they never publish things which will be controversial and not sell. They will always publish things which people will... They need box office hits. And they do it for the box office. And thus, um, it is important for people to understand the technology and then to go beyond this technology because the technology of Tantra, we can teach it pretty clearly. Agama is very good at this. And some people catch it, endorse it. And some people have difficulties with it. But at least we can say that everybody understands approximately where it is what it is. And after being involved with Agama's environment and workshops for a while, people will understand these concepts of transmutation, sublimation, how to do it, what to do, and all that. Then there comes the big choice. The big choice is, am I going to keep this like some bedroom sport? Is this just some bedroom performance? Is just some super sex thing? Or does it have a use? What am I channeling it to? What's the usefulness of Tantra? Because, again, it's easy to do your apprenticeship for six months, a year, two years. Even the most dense people will get it in three years of apprenticeship. And after you get it, then there comes the rest of your life. And the rest of your life is like, what are you going to do with it? This is just a way of modifying your sexual unions. So you have sex in a different way from other people and you think you are special because of that or what is really happening. And thus, here we go mostly in explicitating and in Agama this is very important in explicitating the spiritual part of Tantra. Because we are a spiritual school, we are interested in metaphysics, 
We are interested in the fate of the soul. We are interested in salvation. We are interested in enlightenment. And collaterally, there will come the fact that some people might open their third eyes and see auras or hold hands and be able to transmit energy through their arms and hands and other things, some of them which are slightly paranormal and some of them which are very paranormal. Uh, these are anyway somewhere in the realm of collaterals. But because we are a spiritual school and even our yoga Although we do have therapeutical yoga, because therapeutical, the, the healing part is a very, very important primer. It's a very important goodwill producer in yoga. And for many people, it's very, so very important. Nevertheless, everybody who stays in Agama a month, two months, five months, five years, knows that our yoga is guided mostly towards the top of the mountain, towards the peak states towards the peak experiences, towards the spiritual accomplishments, and all the other things are servants of this great goal. All the other things in yoga and spirituality, they are collaterals, and uh, they can be very useful and very uh, prompt, very, very uh, appropriate, but at the same time, uh, they are just that. They are uh, attendants of the great goal. So this being said, with Tantra, it goes in the same direction. When we teach Tantra here, of course I'm happy if some of you is having a sexual problem like you think you suffer from frigidity or impotence or whatever, and then you discover with Tantra that it's not there, that it has gone, that you are a different... So, of course, Tantra as therapy, as sexual therapy, is a big thing, exactly as the yogic therapy is a big thing in this school. But on the other hand, everybody knows that this is just the first step, and most people don't stop at the therapy part of it. Most people really want to tap the real power of it, the real meaning of it. And then for us here in Agama, we'd always be teaching the spiritual part of it. And... Um, this spiritual part can be expressed in various ways. I remember that I was uh, often disappointed with some teachers from India and other places who are trying to speak about Tantra without giving the goods, without uh, providing the actual secrets of the craft, without telling what the elements of practice are, uh, some of them because they didn't know them and some of them because they didn't want to take any karmic burden by just revealing esoteric truths to other people, <clears throat> to beginners. And very often, uh, I, like I was disagreeing with many of them, considering them watered down and uh, long talk and no walk, you know, like no facts. But then I remember I liked in one of them, in one of the famous tantric speakers, lecturers of India, no, when he uh, alluded to the tantric cultures of the Bauls of Bengal, a sect of Vaishnavas, who actually uh, came up with this thing for them, this thing was very important, that if you haven't discovered the love, that love which, en which enlivened Rumi, 
if you disco didn't discover that kind of thing from Anahata and up, like the things which are truly the higher human condition, if you haven't discovered the love of Buddhas and the love of Christ, then all the technology is just a bedroom gymnastics, as I said. It's not, it doesn't contain something divine in it. And this was a very good message indeed. For me, this uh, spiritual part of Tantra was uh, announced, was always set forth more technologically, because I always had the mind of an engineer, of a technical person, and I always responded very well to the accurate knowledge of technology, either it's about chakras or mantras or technologies of sublimation or something. No, like these were the things which helped me uh, keep my bearings into the world of Tantra and uh, reach uh, some of the uh, accomplishments, some of the results from Tantra, but at the same time, um, it always, this, in, this is one thing which in Agama we never miss, that one should uh, look into the spiritual part of Tantra. Spiritual part of Tantra meaning that all these uh, hocus-pocus which happens with the penis and the vagina and the sexual energy and pleasure and orgasms and so many other things is ultimately meant so that you can find yourself truly, so that one can reach self-realization, and so that one can reach God consciousness, so one can reach the states of samadhi. And this, of course, is related, this is where we always bring the antidote, not only the technology. The technology of Tantra is very juicy. Sometimes it's too juicy. I remember they invited me sometime to teach some of this in Canada in a community which was 80% made of retirees, Canadian wealthy retirees from somewhere north of Ottawa or something in some rich village. Some, it was like most of those people, they got embarrassed he hearing me two days and a half talking about penises and vaginas and ejaculations and you know, like many of them and you know then in the end one of them reproached one of the organizers and then I said that's what you called me here to do you know I can very well talk to you about Ramakrishna and I can recite poems from Rumi you know that's why um, what I'm trying to say here is that uh, the technology has to be doubled by a true understanding of the goal why you'd like you do Tantra and you go crazy Everybody who has experienced good, powerful, tantric, sexual unions, you know that if you maintain yourself in that pre-orgasmic state for a long time, it's like a drunkenness, because your brain starts producing everything, dimethyltryptamine and endorphins and whatever, in increased amounts, and sooner or later you start going berserk. Sooner or later, you start going nuts. It's like you are on powerful substances, which are your own substances, which are the product of your own brain, because this is how the human being is built by God, by Mother Nature. The human being is provided with these things inside, and it's not a coincidence or an accident that they are there. 
That's why when we go into the spiritual part of Tantra, you know, like how do we use all this technology to get somewhere? That's where we start learning about transfiguration. That's where we start learning about consecration. That's where we start uh, connecting this tantric practice with the Mahavidya Yoga and other and other processes which are showing us the true direction in which we go. Ultimately, Tantra follows a very old dream of humanity that there is this nostalgia and this intuition that when we are in love, when we are infatuated, when we tremble with desire and we have the butterflies and everything, this is the harbinger, is the herald of something divine. There, there is an atomic bomb. There, there is the ultimate energy. There, there is something which could truly, truly transform the human being and even the feeble intuitions of Freud and Jung who realized that the libido is at the root of pretty much everything in human life, even these things are showing, are a bit of a symbol of the same thing. It's the greatest dream of humanity as perhaps expressed by Plato in his theory of the twin souls, that if a union goes beyond a certain quality and beyond a certain level, if you discover this mythological twin soul of yours, then the gates of the kingdom of heaven are open. So everybody hopes that with Tantra you can take your union, your relationship, to the level where it becomes divine again. So everybody is in search of divinity in some way, even through relationships. And that's what we don't want ever to forget in Tantra, that it's all about this ultimate chemistry. I wouldn't even call it chemistry, because chemistry is a bit of a, a low-level word. I will call it alchemy. It's more than chemistry. It's alchemy. It's a sort of a special alchemy. It's about animus and anima. It's about the ultimate union. It's about reaching to this perfect state of consciousness where the yin and the yang, the shiva and the shakti are united into this tao, into this oneness, into this absolute. And that's why everything which we study in Tantra and we started with the raw technology, what do you do with your penis, what do you do with your perineum muscles, what do you do with your eyes and breath and this and that, all this is just in the service of a great cause. And then, you know, to reach to that great cause, then this is not just gymnastics in the bedroom. It's more than bedroom gymnastics. It's a search for something which is sublime. And that's why at this level already you have the early relationship elements. Because everybody realizes that maybe if you are like uh, 
Drukpa Kunlei, the so-called divine madman, one of the enlightened 16th centuries or something yogis of Bhutan. No? If you are uh, Drukpa Kunlei, it can be that you have one sexual union with a Dakini or with a woman of exceptional gift, and it all goes already into fireworks and states of high consciousness and the, into the realm of the miraculous. But otherwise, everybody knows that as long as you have an average man or an, an average woman, even if the people who go to Tantra seriously and practically might be above average. So even if you have a special man and a special woman, still it's going to take weeks, months of practice of concentration, sublimation, of practice of awareness, of different practices of purification of the nadis, the purification of the elements, the Buddha Shudi, which leads slowly, slowly to Maituna, to the supreme union, to the ritual union, and other such things. And therefore, everybody understands that the people who practice these things, they are pros, you know, like they go into it, they do it. And thus, when you have practiced with somebody these things for six months, willy-nilly, you have a relationship. Even if that relationship is of spiritual brothers and sisters, you know, still it's a relationship. It contains in it approval, sympathy, infatuation, love, compassion, magic, and a lot of things are contained into it. So, already at this level, we discover that Tantra leads to relationships, and in relationships, then people have to understand typologies, typologies, you know, from the mere very offensive typologies which come from Kama Sutra, of all places, in which people are classified by the size of their genitals, you know. If you are a rabbit man and try to pair with an elephant woman, it's obviously not going to work as much as you try to uh, walk on water and to do all sorts of things. It's, it's out of the realm of fulfillment. Then you need to use lots of props and lots of mental things to make this. So starting with a gross offensive thing, you know, when we teach these things, many people feel offended, you know, because it's like, oh, can you do something about this? Yeah, even if you discover that you can do something about these things, nevertheless, it's like a, it's like a doom. It's like something like this. And going to typologies resulting from astrology, from chakras, you know, compatibilities, you know, alchemy, chemistry, as I said, alchemy. How does fire fit with water? Because normally any intuitive person will say, well, don't mix fire and water because they don't kind of mix with each other. No? So, a lot of things of this kind, which many people don't understand. I've seen so many relationships which didn't work, which got stuck, which were in trouble. And when people understood their true nature, then suddenly things were different. Then suddenly they found their way through this. And even if they didn't find their way the way they expected they would, they found their way in unexpected ways by an increased understanding, by an increased acceptance, by an increased compassion, by an increased 
skillfulness in dealing with things. <clears throat> so already at these levels, understanding about chakras, elements, other aspects of compatibility and so on, is already a guideline because you don't know. I have learned the technology of Tantra. I am a god in the bedroom. I have learned this bedroom gymna gymnastics really well. I am a champion in the bedroom, but I don't know why some things don't work, still don't work, still don't work. Especially in this case, in this I'm trying to achieve something and no, things are not happening really the way. No, why? Should I search for something else? Should I put my pressure in another point of my life? Now, all these things are important once people decided to go along the path of Tantra. And when we get to chakras, for example, this combination between the unique knowledge that Agama Yoga has about chakras and uh, the sexuality is taking us to the secrets, the major secrets of the tantric rituals, for example. Now, all the tantric ritualism and all these, they are not just meant to keep things slow and boring or anything, but they are there just to give us some landmarks and to help us in integrating the elements, the chakras and all these technical things, integrating them into a practice of tantra, into a proper evolution through tantra. That's why as soon as people understand that Tantra is a spiritual part of Tantra at least, is a spiritual development. It's a spiritual realization. It's a self-realization in which sex is used as an instrument. It's just an instrument. It happens because we are a planet on the water element and on Svadhisthana chakra. It happens because the creator of this planet and of this universe is a dude that has a strange sense of humor. It happens because of a variety of reasons that the sexual function contains some unexpected triggers. Like human beings have some secret buttons in the area of their pelvis and perineum, you know. If you would be a more straightforward God, you would have put them on the tip of the nose or on the side of the head or something, you know, for this. But the fact that there is this mixture that we have so much, it's hidden, it's shameful, it's guilty, it gives us a sense of dirt. And then not many people dare to go there. And because they don't dare to go there, they don't trigger some fundamental triggers of the human being. So the tantrics discovering this, discovering that there is a technology, but that this technology has a spiritual aim, that it's all about, you know, eventually roaring like a lion and discovering the truth of your being, reaching the nirvanic fulfillment, the, the, the plane of spirituality, then automatically people start realizing that other things matter. I anticipated this thing about relationships, which is here in Agama, our Tantra of relationships, because you may know the Tantric sexual bedroom technology very well and simply not understand 
be completely dumb about some things which pertain to relationships. It's very possible. And then you are very good in some technological things, and when it comes to the unfolding of your own life, some things are still not working. Like you cleared the first floor, the second floor, the third floor, and maybe even the fifth floor of Tantra, and you got stuck at the sixth floor or at the tenth floor of the whole thing, because it's not enough to have the starting thing. It's, it has to go further, further, higher, higher, and therefore, uh, even these things with alchemy, chemistry, compatibilities, chakras, and all the things which are there, and the early stages of relationships, they are very important for truly, truly fulfilling our goal. And then, the people who have learned this, they notice that, okay, uh, Tantra, you know, can be a bit of a linear, boring thing. Like, I have learned some bedroom technology. I'm having this bedroom technology. Oh, yes, they told me that you have to take your energy to Sahasrara and to do transfiguration and consecrate it to Kali or to Shiva or to God or whatever. No? And even this is becoming by repetition, by repeating this a hundred times over, it starts also becoming a bit of a linear thing. And then people realize that to grow this tree of Tantra, exactly as some people have spoken about the tree of yoga, probably by analogy with the Kabbalistic concept of the tree of life, we could talk analogously as a metaphor by the tree of Tantra, that we are growing up the tree of Tantra, in which you grow up and grow up in all the accomplishments of Tantra. And then people realize that Tantra and sexuality itself uh, being associated with Svadhisthana Chakra, first of all, but also with Muladhara, with Manipura, with Anahata, and ultimately with every chakra that has a polarity. Even Ajna Chakra has a sort of a sexuality, as manifested in this Shiva, which is half male and half female, Ardhana Rishvara, the almost perfect union of the male and female, the last level of manifestation of polarity. So everywhere where there is this, uh, humanity, the human nature has created a lot of collateral practices you no, know, like being interested in you know, how can massage be connected with Tantra, that there are some forms of massage which are directly addressing sexual issues such as yoni massage lingam massage and things like that and other unblocking uh, massages which have a more or less erotic or sexual nature, not to forget even things like Thai massage, medical massage, and other massages which can contribute greatly to the sexual opening and to the fulfillment of the human being, like being helpers there. And then actually when you study these things, you find out that in the Tantric tradition of India, they never really had too much of these things. Their massage was versus, was replaced by a concept which is much more mystical and which you study in one of our Tantra workshops, which is called Nyasa, in which they used mantras. They used the connection between the individual and the universal, between the microcosm and the macrocosm. 
no? And then it's like, it's very interesting to see where did these people, what practices have been invented in Tantra as collaterals, as props, as helpers. Even when we look to you know, things which are like, what's the usefulness of anal sex? Do tantric people sometimes do anal sex? Is it useful for some people? Is it useful for everybody? Is it a must? Or is it useful for some people sometimes? In what conditions and why? What about oral sex? Is oral sex just a way of pleasing each other additionally? Or does it have a metaphysical meaning? Is it part of this growth? Like, is, is there something mystical in all these things? Or these are the justice vadistanistic collateral stuff which you don't want to touch because you want to be serious. You want to be committed to your goal. Of course, I'm not making fun in any way about people being committed to their goal. I want all of you who study Tantra to hopefully be very committed to your goal and really achieve things with your tantric practice. But on the other hand, we see that some people make an excessive zeal and they fall into a sort of puritanism, into a sort of excessive strictness, you know, and therefore one needs to understand, you know, what's what about fertility, you know, what about the tantric people who are fertile, who want to be fertile, who want to have progeny, or on the contrary, who never want to have offspring of any kind, you know. What does Tantra say about this? Because in the Tibetan medical science related to Tibetan Tantra, and as well as in the Svara Yoga of Indian Tantra, they teach things about determining the sex of the child at will, uh, making sure things about astrological capabilities of a child, level of intelligence, some things which today I, I was surprised because I had discussions around tables with people about this and some people almost got afraid of these concepts because they sounded like the eugenic experiments of race control of the Germans during the Third Reich, you know. They sounded almost like a racial interest, you know. On the other hand, it's the legitimate wish of any parent that their child should be brilliant. You know, every father wants his boy to be a greater man than him if he is a real selfless, loving father. Every mother wants his daughter, her daughter, to be more fulfilled, more beautiful, more full of energy than herself. If she is not a selfish bitch, if she is a selfless person, then she wants, she wants what is best, you know. So we are not talking about racial selection or eugenics or anything. We are talking simply about the wish to bring purity, like the Tibetan parents that were very happy when it happened that one of their three kids was uh, incarnated Tulku. And then, you know, it's like two kids are Tom, Dick and Harry, and the kid number three is some Tulku, is some enlightened being who came to be incarnated in our family. You know, and of course, this one is different when you are the mother of Dalai Lama, you know, the Dalai Lama is not like the rest of your kids. He's a very peculiar kid than that one. So, in the same way, I mean, even this concept, you cannot separate the sexual function, which is made by Mother Nature, 
for procreation. That's what the chimpanzees and the dolphins use it for. And you cannot separate it from the phenomenon of procreation and fertility, although most of the modern yogis, due to the bitterness of the Kali Yuga and other and other reasons, they may have chosen to stay away from the parenthood and so on, simply because uh, they had other fish to fry, they had other things to do with their lives, and they made conscious choices in this way. But again, this is nothing which is a, a must of any kind. And of course, when we talk about all these collaterals that people hear that in Tantra, you know, on one hand you are confronted with choosing things about procreation or non-procreation. On the other hand, some people are raising questions and practical issues about disease. You know, it is incontestable to say that if you drink water which is not filtered and your immune system is not strong, you might get a diarrhea or you might get a worse thing than diarrhea, an amibiasis, an entero, something, a giardia, some other and other, a dysenteria or other things. So exactly as you are aware of the fact that coming to India or to Thailand and drinking unfiltered or untreated water, if you are not very strong in your immunity, then you can have trouble. Exactly in the same way, you know that being in an environment of Tantra where many things are happening that are not exactly what your grandmother taught you about sex, then you also need to consider the problem of health, of hygiene, of disease, of other things like that, you know. So even that cannot be avoided in a holistic study when you want to study Tantra as a path to enlightenment, as a path to self-discovery, as a path to spiritualization. People are maybe talking about exotic things like, uh, you know, group sex, more than two people having sex in the same place at the same time. You know, it's like, is this just some hippie distortion that some the hippies in the 60s they just went into this flower power make love not war and this became translated into some negligent svadistanistic ignorant thing which became group sex and occasionally has stayed with Hollywood and swinger clubs and stuff like this or is this something which, because it existed in Tantra, it again has a metaphysical, spiritual value. It is something which actually takes you somewhere. It does something which maybe other things cannot do and all that. I just brought up a few provocative issues from oral sex to group sex and from fertility to uh, whatever, nyasa, massage and so on to just illustrate the fact that people in the world of Tantra, they are living a very rich dimension. It's not just a linear thing. The Tantric culture has embraced everything in the human behavior and energy, trying to sublime it and to bring it to its real value. And thus... Uh, you can learn about uh, all these things 
All these things are opening new doors, new horizons, and it doesn't mean that anything is compulsory. Like you have to have sex only in this position or you have to have sex only in that position. All these things depend strictly subjectively of people's lives, feelings, experience, choices, particularities, and so on. And that's why um, they differ, but precisely because they differ, they create a very colorful part of the world of Tantra. And discovering your twin soul, discovering yourself, and discovering enlightenment through the sublimation of the sexual energy is something which takes many aspects. It's not a simple thing, like, oh, you have sex in a certain way. Many people think that, oh, you learn about Maituna, and when you learn about Maituna, you do it uh, on each chakra, and then you have reached Samadhi. That's the idealistic and unrealistic view published by some authors who have been theoreticians of Tantra, but not practitioners of Tantra. So they didn't really know how many weeks or months or years of rehearsing the same thing will it actually take before something is happening. Theoretically, Udhyana Banda that we teach in day 12 of Agama to the very beginners, some of them are smoking, eating meat, probably taking dope or other things. Udhyana Banda can not only theoretically but practically activate Kundalini Shakti. And yet it doesn't accidentally happen in the day 13 of Agama. Although Udhyana Banda can. How many times do people repeat Udhyana Banda and maybe mix it with other mudras and things until they learn the great skills of Kundalini Yoga and then some of the big major things start happening. Theoretically, Udhyana Banda alone can do. I think Geranda Samhita says there is no Banda like Udhyana Banda. Like the Udhyana Banda is the foremost of the Bandas. You don't need Mahabanda and others to jab. You just need Udhyana Banda. It's the foremost of the Bandas. But exactly like Maituna or like the sexual sublimation, when you do Udhyana Banda in day 12, first time in your life probably, it doesn't work like when you do it seven years later after an intense practice of Kundalini Yoga. In the same way, a Maituna which is done or some Nyasa or some combination, the Tantric Yoni Mudra, which includes oral sex or other things, when you do them after seven years of daily Tantric practice, it works in another way than it works first time when you got it in a Tantra workshop and you went home full of curiosity and you tried it. First time is just first time. But then slowly, slowly, the masterliness is coming. No, it's the same with everything. Riding a bicycle, juggling with three balls or whatever you do, ultimately we have the same thing. So, all these things are part of the spiritual part of Tantra, which uh, is amounting eventually to this art of relationships. Truly, I can tell you from my own experience, uh, not only that I have done many mistakes in terms of relationships, 
out of ignorance, not out, not on purpose, out of incompleteness, out still, no, because some of these things have never been taught to me, because the tantric tradition is not an encyclopedia from A to Z. There are missing parts. Some teachers know more of a certain part, more of another part, and so on. I myself, I had done yoga, tantra, I had experienced very high states of consciousness. These states of consciousness gave me a totally different understanding of body, life, energy, chakras, destiny. I had taken major turn, major turnovers, major turning points in my life. I had taken major decisions about my life and then years later I would read some book on the female and masculine nature like a primitive thing like men are from Mars and women are from Venus or like uh, you know why women can't read maps and men don't have a clue about this you know there are a few famous books that circulate through this environment you know and reading them after 20 years of Tantra did something to me it actually improved my relationships, it improved my approach to relationships, simply because I had no idea that some things were meant to be like this or like that. No? Like, you know, the most, the first which comes always to mind and is humoristic, is the eternal need of most women to talk. To talk. To just talk. You know, it's like, which for some men is absolutely maddening, you know. It's a torture. You know, it's like, it's, you don't know what to do to run away from it. You know, and it's like, why is this meant to be? Why is this, div like, is God a sadistic joker that has created complementary genders? And uh, there are a hundred things which are like this one, you know, this is just a tiny one which makes most of you laugh, although it also brings a lot of pain in a lot of people during their lives. So, practicing on relationships by mixing yama and niyama, the morals and ethics of spirituality, self-discipline, control over the mind and emotions, together with an accurate knowledge of the masculine nature, of the feminine nature, and a truly understanding relationships, all this can create paradise. All this is the advanced level in Tantra. It's true. You cannot really build the Tantric relationships of an enlightenment level as long as you don't master the sexual continence. Because if you don't master the sexual continence, you don't have the juice. You don't have the, the mojo, the ojas, the whatever you want to call it, the juju, to actually have the spiritual power to do the transformation. So you cannot put the cart in front of the horses. It's like, of course, there is a sequence in these things, but nevertheless, here in Agama, uh, even this story with the relationships, many people take it like a new age-ish thing. There is this tendency to transform much of this Tantra thing into some sugar-coated, watered-down, uh, pathetic, uh, you know, 
normal people are cynical, they work hard for money, for this, for that, their sexual relationships sometimes get a bit selfish, and in Tantra we are looking for something really, really nice. Be nice to me, I'm nice to you. I've even met, I even heard the case of a elderly lady, the kind of elderly spinster who had been sexually frustrated for a lifetime, and with she heard about Tantra and she had a sort of a lust nostalgia about it, like, oh, I could hear something about Tantra and this, and then she came to her Tantra teacher and he said, I think the name Tantra comes from Tantra, tenderness. It's a thing about tenderness. This woman was simply hungry for tenderness. She had been only with idiotic, brutal men, and now she was... 55 and she had little to look forward to in her sexual life. She didn't have a partner and in her heart she would have liked that tan, the very name Tantra was in the family with Tantra, tender, which came in her language from tenderness. You know, like Tantra is about tenderness. It's very beautiful and it's, it, it made me almost cry when I heard this. You know, it's like the you know the compassion for the life of that woman was you know it's like oh my god you know what what can i do to stop people having such lives you know it's like what could i you know it it hurts me to hear that some people have such lives and they reach there and you know but at the same time it has also a ridiculous hilarious part you know because the tantrics of india and tibet they are much much more than some people practicing some levels of tenderness, you know, they're not interesting, oh, be tender to me, please, you know, no, but then when they got wild and they beat each other's buttocks or whatever they did, you know, where was the tenderness, you know, because that's not literally a form of tenderness, you know, or when some of them became a little bit brutal with the ego of the other one and said, now you are really selfish and so on, that's not very tender, you know, when somebody is prodding at the other and says, come on, wake up, you know, we are partners, we are rowing in the same boat here, you know, like, stop pulling me down with your shit, you know, like, let's stand up to the challenge, you know, and so on, you know, and then sometimes in relationships and in development like this, things can become, you know, like when the relationship is going on Manipura Chakra or when the relationship goes to Vishuddha Chakra or something, there's not much tenderness there, you know, the relationship has other dimensions, so it's not because, again, there's anything wrong with tenderness, but that's just one of the multiple aspects of it, that's why uh, relationships, understanding relationships profoundly is a way which helps you a lot, because otherwise people tend to uh, cultivate a sort of a simplicity, a sort of a technical simplicity, like I don't understand this shit, so every time when things are getting complicated, I can cross my legs, go in Sahasrara or in Ajna Chakra, and then everything becomes easy. No, like if I go in the higher chakras, then I'm at peace. And if you do the same thing, we are both at peace. Which is a solution very much for beginners. Many beginners do that when they cannot cope with things the way they are. But slowly, slowly, we discover the complexities of the human nature and human relationships. And many people again think that that's some sort of 
oh, let's make a workshop on relationships. But the question is, what's the final purpose of this? Like, you can do a workshop on psychotherapy. But here in Agama, we have a workshop on yoga and psychotherapy. Because we are interested in psychotherapy only in as much as it helps you go to samadhi and enjoy the state of samadhi with clarity. My cousin is a policeman. It's not. I'm just giving an example. And he shot somebody in the exercise of duty, in the line of duty. And then he has to have psychological counseling because he shot somebody with a fire weapon and he needs to have psychotherapy with a shrink, you know. I'm not interested in that. Nobody in yoga is interested in the psychotherapy of the policeman John Doe because he discharged the fire weapon and now he has to be confronted with some guilt or trauma that he wounded or killed a human being, you know. I'm not in because that does have no purpose of enlightenment. That has the purpose that John Doe should feel good as a policeman five years later, and he should also stay as a good servant of the society. It's a laudable, it's a praiseworthy thing. It's not really what's the interest of the great tantrics or of the great yogis. So exactly as I won't do psychotherapy for the purpose of mere psychotherapy, there are a million shrinks that can do that. And I'm interested in psychotherapy only to the point where it can clear the road to nirvana and it can help me in my self-awareness. Exactly in the same way, I'm not interested in relationships to the point where they create some sort of bourgeois reality. Actually, if I would be one of the old-fashioned Robin Hood crazy madness type of tantric gurus, I would hate the bourgeois world and all the bourgeois shit that happens in this world, and I would stand up against it with a big sledgehammer, you know, ready to break everything. A little bit like the crazy youngsters in 1968 who wanted a world revolution. That revolution never happened. No, nobody put down Morgan and Rockefeller and Rothschild. The same industrialists and banks that the hippies were fighting against in the 1960s, they are still in charge today on Wall Street and in the city of London, and they rule the world and the politics and everything. So, you know, if I would be an iconoclastic, uh, anarchistic, revolutionary, tantric person, I would actually say, you know, anything but this bourgeois shit, this bourgeois shit, we want to drag it through the mud completely. We hate it. We go against it because it gives to people this false feeling of security. It gives the feeling, it lulls people into this false feeling that, oh, it's nice, it's good, and so on. And it isn't because eventually you die and you discover that you fucked up a completely good lifetime, that you could have made it to nirvana, you had the right information, and you didn't do it because you just lulled yourself into some watered-down thing and so on, and then you hate yourself that you kept yourself confused with these things. So, of course, we don't do that in Agama, because we try to practice a holistic form of yoga and tantra, in which healing, psychotherapy, world, and everything 
are kept into the proper balance because everything is part of the consciousness of Shiva. Everything is part of the tree of life. Everything is part of... So, I'm not denying the fact that some people are here, are born here, for the purpose of mediocrity. That's the sad truth. The sad truth that in the end, when we'll draw the line, we'll see that some people just hit mediocrity. That's all they could do with their lives. Mediocrity. No? And it's like, it sounds scary, and it sounds offensive. That's really what's happening. And I, I am not here to say, I don't want anybody to be mediocre. I want everybody to become Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. That's a sort of an exalted hey-ho type of spirit, which we know with maturity and wisdom, it's not going to happen. That's not what's happening in this universe. So there will be mediocrity. There will be a lot of mediocrity. And we have to live with that mediocrity. And great teachers like Krishna or Jesus or Buddha, they were aware of this mediocrity. And although they preached perfection and they preached the absolute reality, nevertheless, compassionately and lovingly, they made place for everything. So I'm not saying that this part of relationships in Tantra will not be skewed or hijacked by some people to just make a little bit of a mild improvement, exactly as some people take Hatha Yoga and they use it for their shoulders or for their hips. And really, there is no objection to that. Like, why would I be upset that somebody's shoulders are feeling happier today because they did Hatha Yoga? But on the other hand, that's not what Patanjali tells me that yoga is. No? So on the other hand, I can put things into perspective. It's the same thing with these relationships. You learn about them in some of our Tantra teachings here, and uh, at the same time, you know, you need to understand that you want to use these relationships like a propeller for spirituality. No? Ultimately, if a relationship is not helping me to reach spirituality, then that relationship could better be absent out of my life. If a relationship is slowing me down 10% in my spiritual evolution, then the question is, can I afford to be slowed down 10%? No. Do I want? Because like Ramakrishna was the kind of madman that wouldn't be slowed down by anything in this universe. And even Jesus said, if your right hand upsets you, cut off your right hand, because it's better to reach to God without a hand than not to reach at all. No? If your relationship is your right hand, then it's better than maybe to give up that, that sort of relationship when it becomes a superficial, hindering thing, instead of becoming a support. No, like say, every time when I meet with my lover, with my partner, with my whatever you call husband, wife, whatever it is, every time when I meet with them, my evolution takes off. I feel that I evolve a lot. I feel that I understand. I feel that my meditation is going deeper. I feel that my Kundalini is rising stronger. That's the relationship which you actually want to have not the relationship which is suppressing you, putting you down. You know, I witness this on a daily basis. How many people come to me, and at least people who come from the world of sexual tantra, 50% of their woes are about their relationships. 
to one of the major painful subjects in the communities where Tantra is being practiced. And that's why here there is a lot of stuff which is to be said. And of course, just to mention clearly things which you don't know and which you one day might know due to your studies in Tantra, we can never forget the collateral. Like on one hand, Tantra is how to get in Samadhi with sexual technology, with sublimation, with compatibility, with alchemy, with uh, oral sex, with niyasa, and with relationships. Like there is, a, there are a lot of factors along the way which are helping you to grow up this tree of Tantra. No, if you cut the tip of the tree and you hinder it, then you have a little bonsai, a dwarf tree, instead of having the the sequoia gigantea of Tantra, you know, instead of having the, the redwoods, having the giant trees of Tantra. So uh, the, this is, of course, the core of it. And we never forget about the magical part of Tantra, the fact that Tantra has a... We cannot find a better word for magic because it has been used, although the word magic has lots of ridiculous connotations in the modern world, but the magic part of Tantra is the fact that Tantra produces so many collateral effects and that those effects can be actually used as further props. It's exactly like you are in a boat and you have the paddle and you are rowing with it and then you have a partner in the boat and the partner says, what can I do to help. If I take this and I row with it, would it help? Yes, it would help. It's not a paddle. It's not a row. It's not made for, it's not an oar. But you can still use it for accelerating the speed of the boat with another 5%. If you, so in the same way, in Tantra, if you do phenomena of astral projection, or if you start having clairvoyance, or if you experience other and other, if you have a contact with Kali or Tripura Sundari, or other and other things, the list is very, very great then automatically many things in your tantric evolution can be accelerated even more. They are not necessarily part of the mainstream, but they are collaterals, exactly as the beauty of a Christmas tree is not only because of the stalk of it, but because of the branches which go in all directions and they create this beautiful cone-like shape of the Christmas trees. Exactly in the same way, the beauty of Tantra is not only in the top of it, but it's also in the collaterals. There is the tree of Tantra, and in the tree of Tantra there are these many collaterals which, you, when they become really advanced, you know, the fact that you had uh, some uh, impotence or some uh, frigidity or something, and then you sorted it out, that cannot be called magic. For some people it is almost like magic because they say without this I would have never reached here, I would never be here. But actually uh, when things go further than that then some things are truly bordering on magic. The tantrics have discovered that the sexual energy is so potent that it can produce many paranormal unusual phenomena and therefore that there is a part of the tantric tradition which is also consecrated to magic. And uh, 
those, for example, because I said I can tell you what you know and what you don't know. Even this part of magic, for example, we teach some basics of it in our workshops, but for example, not too much. When we devised these workshops, I did not consider that in teaching Tantra for 18 days, because that's what most of our workshops are, it's a triad of six-day workshops, teaching Tantra in uh, 18 days, of six hours per day each, you can actually teach everything, all the mantras, yantras, magic things, and so on. And that's why, for example, this part of some of the magics of Tantra, it will take for most of you way more than just one or two or three workshops in Agama to get to the points where you concretely know some of these things and do. It's, again, not because we try to keep anything as a secret uh, in a bastardly way, but it's simply because some things are not needed and the need for them appears as your practice is blossoming and as your, as your results are showing up, then automatically more is needed, exactly as when the Christmas tree becomes higher like this, then its branches also become a bit bigger like this, to just preserve the proportions which are ideals for that tree. So in the same way, uh, these, some of these things from the paranormal part of Tantra, it, they are part of the community, advanced teachings and other things uh, like this. They take longer time because uh, everybody knows this, that being in a tantric community, it's one thing what you can learn in 18 days, and it's another thing, the fact that you see somebody doing a consecration this way or that way, that you participate to a group of people performing a transfiguration, and then you suddenly see how it happens, and you have a feel of it, and then it's, you are changed for the rest of your life, because you know how to do it, you've done it before with some people. Everything which you do is an initiation in this way, and there are lots of initiations which are not only part of our Tantra workshops, but they are also part of uh, the Tantric life itself, part of what we could call the unwritten part of the tradition, the spoken tradition, the oral tradition, which circulates in the Tantric environments, and which people are propagating from generation to generation. Um, this was a little bit of an account. I tried tonight, therefore, to give you an account of what you search for in the world of Tantra. All these things which I mentioned tonight, some of them sounding really far out and alien to you, some of them sounding scary and provocative, and some of them sounding simply mysterious, like I wish he spoke more about this. It's not the place here to speak more about this, not because I'm trying to tease you or tantalize you, but there wouldn't be the place and the time to speak here, to go into, to micromanage these things and to go into the details. That's why the Tantra workshops and other Tantric activities are made, so that you can get the practical experience of those things. But I simply try to give you a bit of guidance, as I did in the metaphysical workshop for those who joined that workshop, trying to give you a bit of an image of the world, a picture of the world, where are we? What are we doing? Why some people choose to do evolution and some people forgot about it? What's happening in this case? What's happening in that case? And all that, 
exactly the same thing. It was my intention because some of you want to take decisions if to learn more Tantra or less or if now or later or something. I was trying to give you a bit of a primer, a bit of an orientation of what is the world of Tantra made of. Like which are subjects which are commonly announced in the world of Tantra and therefore maybe some of the things which I mentioned there are things which are comfortable for you or already known maybe some of the things which I mentioned they are things which are really alien to your lives for now and then uh, if you are interested in Tantra you want to know about them again I'm saying the world of sexual Tantra is specially made for people that have a sexual interest and urge if it is lost in a pathological way and you are in denial then you are in danger of becoming sick in your head on in your body and then you have to get out of the denial acknowledge your sexual energy get back to that stage of your life and then start practicing Tantra because it's relevant but if it happens that some of you is the reincarnation of Ramakrishna as I said and you are subliming everything and you are the human typology which the Hindu mysticism calls Divya people are supposed to be in Hindu mysticism of three categories the lowest which is more than 90% of the society is called Pashu and Pashu is a very bad name because it means cattle so the Hindu gurus say more than 90% of the people they are animals plain animals that's why they you can't even teach them to control their ejaculation or something like this because they are animals and animals don't even have the momentum for that they don't have the motivation they don't have the spirit for that they in they roll in the mud they roll through their trough of mud and that's all they can do with their lives it's a very harsh judgment and it can be considered very you know uh, discriminative that's I cannot deny what the tradition said that's what the tradition said and the minority of the population the other 10% are called vira viras which means spiritual heroes and these are the people men and women women can also be viras but okay the women it's viras and shaktis but the real shakti is a vira because she is a warrior so the vira typology are the human beings who stand up for battle they don't want to crawl through the mud they don't want to live like worms and then they stand up and they try to do something sometimes they are misguided and they try to do mediocre things sometimes they hit jackpot and then they really do some of the major league things but there is a third typology because Pashu corresponds to Tamas Guna Vira corresponds to Rajas Guna there is one which corresponds to Sattva Guna and that one is called Daivya or Divya and it comes from Deva it's like the Devas Deva like Divya and this means the divine nature that there are men and women who are born already divine a typical example if you want a woman besides Ramakrishna Mananda Mai Mananda Mai at the age of two was experiencing states of Samadhi and when her parents married her by force and her husband tried to bed her he had some jolting shocking reaction you know, because it's not so easy for a dude to bed Mananda Mai 
you know, it's no, that man called himself Bolanat and he became her disciple because he couldn't be her husband really he was her husband only on paper but in actual fact he was a disciple of her not her partner when she met with Yogananda she went like this on his shoulder you know because Yogananda could have in a perfect world Yogananda could have been her life partner she called him dad father you have come I have waited for you you know it's like I've seen you in my mind coming no, she recognized immediately that Yogananda could be part of her divya like world so again if any one of you or other people is a divya maybe if somebody talks to you about sex and your penis goes inside your body then tantra is not for you so Tantra addresses to people for whom sexuality is a thrilling power. It does things to you. It moves you. And it simply asks you honestly to acknowledge that. Acknowledge, you know, if indeed sex is moving you, acknowledge that and use it. Use it without any embarrassment simply say this is who I am for me this is making me more interested than this or that no. it's like we have all known things the power of love and infatuation what it does and what is happening you know it's like many of you have had a great story of love at some time and then for two three days you didn't you couldn't even sleep you were like under a hypnosis under like an ecstasy you know because you that's the power of it, you know. Theoretically, Rumi says, yeah, you can be like this with everybody. And all the time. I'm like this every night. Yeah. Not everybody is Rumi. Some people need a partner who is sexually attractive to them to bring them to that temperature, to bring them to the boiling point. And if sex can do that, then sure, it's better than nothing. It's better than being cold and dry and inert and then you are becoming 70 or 80 years old and you say I don't know how it happened but in, in this life nothing really moved me you should have killed yourself earlier perhaps you know it's like you just wasted oxygen on the face of this earth you know you just wasted wheat and barley you know like what are you doing here of course I'm being cynical and preposterous on purpose but I say that so for you to understand, you know, that this power of sex ultimately is a gift. It's a gift. The sexual attraction is the attraction of Shiva and Shakti. It's a mystical attraction. It's the longing for oneness. People think that through their genitals they can reach a privileged orgasmic cosmic state in which they go beyond troubles and sorrows and tribulations and they can become one. And of course the story is a bit more complicated than that and everybody who studies Tantra practically knows but it's a good impulse. It's a good impulse. The fact that people have this nostalgia. Yes, we are a Svadhisthana Chakra planet and most of our nostalgia will come through Svadhisthana Chakra, will manifest through Svadhisthana Chakra. There is nothing a shame. We cannot emigrate to another planet right now. That's where the cosmic consciousness has put us to evolve 
this is our stage in evolution we do things according to our stage in evolution and that's why the sexual tantra may be very relevant to many of you again if you are not in the category where this problem of sublimation and others is solved perfectly already or uh, you are having the ascetic means at your disposal no, but the ascetic means they are reducing a lot of the presence of the human being in the lower planes monks Christian monks that practice absolute celibacy they have to fast a lot they are always taking low protein diet so they eat only vegan stuff and even there they don't eat peanuts hazelnuts and stuff which has a lot of protein because it will make them ejaculate in the night time if they eat too many proteins because the body produces a lot of sperm if you uh, eat too many proteins so they go on low protein diet they fast if they have some horniness in the catholic church they beat themselves up they whip themselves to pulp sometimes to blood to raw flesh and so on and then of course when you live like that you are a bit ghostly like you live in the world but you are not fully in the world and if people push you a little bit it's like oh, okay okay you know it's like you are made of vapor because you are not really in Muladhara, in Svadhisthana, grounded, present, muscular, strong, being here, you know, fighting for your territory, doing whatever you are doing, but being a presence on earth. You are not. And that's why automatically we know that the tantric practice makes people more grounded, more efficient in the world, while the non-tantric way of dealing with the sublimation and the sexual energy makes people more like angels, like ghosts, a little bit more absent from this world, refined beyond a certain level, and because of this, less efficient. Like when you want to go and dig in the garden and plant potatoes, you don't ask that from a monk that has been fasting for the last three days. You ask that from a tantric that ate lots of proteins and maybe has had sex a couple of times and is full of vitality and can be part of this reality. So from the standpoint of karma yoga, from the standpoint of making a difference, from the standpoint of tantric holism that we are living in Shakti, in Prakriti, uh, tantric sexuality is also one of the benefits, one of the helpers, one of the supports there. Well, that was my intention tonight, to tell you about what is in the world of Tantra. Surely I couldn't tell you everything. There are lots of details. Uh, I'm thinking one day to just read a text which I have from a French parapsychologist for you just to see some experiences in the field of Tantra. But um, I hope this has given you a bit of clarity, orientation, a picture of the life in Tantra, in sexual Tantra, and of the world of sexual Tantra, and it helps you uh, guide your lives better in this respect. With this, we have finished, and um, we are going to see ourselves in the next activities here. Thank you for tonight.